Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, today we're at the crossroads of another year where we take time to look back and reflect, to give thanks for your everlasting loyal love in our lives and look ahead with eyes of faith to see you making all things new. Looking back, O oh Lord, we're amazed that long before you laid down the foundation of the earth, you had us in mind, and you settled on us the focus of your love to be made whole and holy by your grace. We're amazed that you decided to adopt us into your family through the sacrifice of Jesus the Messiah. His blood poured out on the altar of the cross, which has freed us of the penalty and power of sin. And then to be given the gift of your spirit poured out in full measure to allow us to live life we were intended for and to seal us permanently, never to be separated from your care or protective love. This is beyond comprehension. What a God you are, loving, so generous, so powerful, righteous and holy, and yet so humble to invite us to share as co-heirs with Jesus serving in your glorious kingdom. We cannot praise you enough. And looking ahead, Lord Jesus, we ask you to renew us with hearts, the assurance of your compassion, like the love of a newborn experiences from its mother, reminding us you will never leave us or forsake us. Give us the grace to follow you in the way of the cross. Free us from self-centeredness, looking after our own interests that so easily consume us. We ask that you extend unto each of us the wisdom, the strength, or the courage to meet each new day and each new challenge head-on with eagerness and joy. Give us to encourage to accept the clean slate you offer us each day. And give us eyes to see beyond our personal struggles and social tensions that pervade the media, to behold the mystery of the kingdom of God, and fill us with a new wine of the Spirit each day. Bless us with the warmth of strong relationships, the strength to help those in our community that need help, and the courage and humility to accept it ourselves in moments when we need it. Fill us with your grace that allows your compassion to be released in our hearts and through us to a hurting world that is alienated from your love. Even those who've caused us hurt far away and closer to home. And give us the faith of Abraham to be willing to be vulnerable and to step out by faith to follow your call wherever you take us to let our light shine in the darkness as we look for the everlasting city whose architect and builder is God. Remind us that it takes only one person willing to step out by faith and be vulnerable to transform lives. Together we celebrate you in praise and prayer, and we do so with one voice, one people, one church, united in God's love. In Jesus' name, amen. So John has chosen one of my favorite psalms to preach on this morning and to share, and it's Psalm 63. Uh, which I'll read for you now. 
the Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate upon you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. That those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth, and they shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be portioned for jackals. But the king, he shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouth of liars shall be stopped. The word of the Lord. Well, why don't you give John a big welcome as he comes to share with us. <laughs> Well, good morning, good morning, good to see you all, uh, some of you I know from many years past, and uh, some of you I probably don't know. I hope you had a nice uh, Christmas, uh, although I know the reality that Christmas can be a bit of a mixed bag, and uh, maybe you're recovering or um, uh, just trying to, to get ready for a new year it, Today's the last day of 2023. Can you believe that? And tomorrow is the first day of 2024. And who is ready now to start up a new year? Um, it, it's amazing how quickly they come around. In the church calendar, we're still in Christmas time. And looking forward to Epiphany on January 6th. In the past weeks, you all have been reminded of the themes of Advent, uh, hope, peace, joy, and love, and you have been reflecting on the hymns of uh, Luke's birth narrative, the Magnificat, the Benedictus, Gloria, and Nuke Dementis. On the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, we often take time to to reflect, looking back at the past year, looking forward to the new year. But this morning I want to do something a little different and, and stay in Advent a little longer. I want to reflect on the deep yearnings that often bubble to the surface during the season of Advent through memories, family gatherings, relationships. Christmas brings out longings and desires for home, intimacy, family. We all have yearnings. We have deep longings. And I think this year that these yearnings and longings are intensified by what we see in the world. Uh, happening, um, things that are happening in the world. The continuing war in Ukraine. The conflict erupting, uh, erupting again in Israel. Um, national disasters at home and abroad, uh, 
ongoing social and interpersonal turbulence in the United States. And on top of that, we are embarking on an election year. Many people, I hear from many people, people are sad, they're fearful, they're anxious, they're unsettled. Um, but even our <clears throat> fears and anxieties signal to us that we have deep yearnings. And I want to suggest to you that most of our deepest yearnings and desires are signals that point us to God. Even though Christ has come and promises to be with us, we still yearn for more. Some yearnings are circumstantial. Some might be realized. Most of them will not. Yearnings are elusive. They're hard to name. Some longings um, um, just well up inside of us in a moment. We long for the eternal, transcendence, the end of, end of suffering. And today, I just want to slow down a bit. And uh, before we start another year, get in touch with our yearnings and hopefully bring out our yearnings for God and offer our prayers to God. So what we're going to do is reflect on the seven O antiphons. How many of you have heard of the antiphons? Yes, the bells have heard of them. Uh, <laughs> that's no surprise. But most of you are not aware of these short prayers that go back to at least the sixth century in the church. There are seven O antiphons that were read on December 17th through December 23rd, prior to the Christmas Eve feast and then Christmas Day. And they were <clears throat> sung or read in the Vesper services on either side of the Magnificat. They were read or sung antiphonally, and thus the name. And therefore, these short prayers follow nicely after your study of the hymns, uh, the nativity hymns that you have studied in Luke. Each antiphon has three features. The first word is O. 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 It's a, it's a, <clears throat> it's a letter that brings out longing, desire. Oh, it's a cry from our heart. Second, each antiphon highlights a different title for Jesus taken from the Old Testament, mostly from Isaiah. Emmanuel, key of David, root of Jesse, wisdom, and so forth. And thus, these titles open up for us who Jesus is. These titles give voice to the Israelites longing for the Messiah, as well as our own longings for Jesus to come, both at Christmas at the second coming, 
and to come into our life on a daily basis. And third, each antiphon concludes with a plea for Jesus to do a powerful work in our lives when he does come. The familiar hymn that we sing during Advent, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is actually derived from the antiphons. There are several translations of the antiphons from Latin, uh, but I am using uh, the translation of the poet Malcolm Geith. What we're going to do is just simply talk a bit about each antiphon, and then I'm going to invite you together to pray the antiphon and make these prayers your own today. So here's the first one. O wisdom, coming forth from the mouth of the Most High, reaching from one end to the other mightily, and sweetly ordering all things, come and teach us the way of prudence. Isaiah says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This antiphon also draws on a couple passages from the Apocrypha, where Wisdom is praised. And one verse says, Wisdom reaches from one end to the other mightily, and sweetly doth she order all things. Wisdom is connected here to creation, the ordering, the beauty of the cosmos. God spoke creation into existence. He brought order out of chaos. Wisdom is connected to the Logos of John's Gospel, the, the, the one who was with God, who was God, and the one through, through whom all things were made. The wisdom is Christ, the source of order, beauty, coherence, a wisdom that is hidden but is on full display in the world around us, the heavens declare the glory of God and the wisdom of Christ. I think we have a deep desire, a yearning to be connected to this one who is behind it all, the source of life, the ground of being. This is what poets do when they write about creation, the sun, moon, and stars, and they look through these visible things and they evoke in us this desire for transcendence. We're intended to be one with God and the cosmos. Even spiritualists endeavor to be connected to nature knowing that there is a source somewhere. A few years ago or a couple years ago, my wife and I were outside, and uh, all of a sudden, I see this huge swarm of bees. And I tell my wife, Liz, get in the house. There's bees coming. There, it's a huge swarm. And what does she do? She just stood in the middle of the swarm and felt this connection, this oneness, was what was happening 
around her. And that's what creation does. It evokes something in us. It evokes awe and wonder. And it's a yearning to have more of that awe and wonder that we see around us. We also yearn to be connected to wisdom, to an ordered creation amid so much chaos in the world. We long for things to be right, to make sense. We pray, teach us prudence. In other words, reason, good judgment. Help us to be filled with the wisdom of Christ. Help us to live ordered lives, to have ordered minds. Um, can you recognize this yearning in your own life? How have you experienced that? When the transcendence comes to you from the world around us, where does that happen for you? Nature, painting, baking, playing with children, reading the poets? When was the last time you took a slow, contemplative walk with no one else around and simply listened and noticed what was around you? I invite you now, we're going to pray this antiphon, okay? All together. O oh, wisdom, coming forth from the mouth of the Most High, reaching from one end to the other mightily, and sweetly ordering all things, come and teach us the way of prudence. The second antiphon addresses Jesus as Adonai, O Adonai, and leader of the house of Israel who appeared to Moses in the fire of the burning bush and gave him the law of Sinai, on Sinai, come and redeem us with an outstretched arm. The name of God in the Old Testament that we often say is Yahweh, four Hebrew letters. But to the Hebrews, that name was so sacred that they would not try to pronounce it, but rather they would substitute the title Adonai, which means Lord. To utter the sacred name of God would be considered blasphemy. And uh, Jews and, and many Christians today if they're reading Hebrew text, do not pronounce the, the, uh, the name Yahweh, but they substitute Adonai. But now, since Jesus has come, the unknowable, unnameable God has come to be known and named. Jesus is Adonai. This antiphon refers refers us to Moses and draws us to two passages. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And then 
the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments which I have written for their instruction. These references point us to the exodus of Israel from captivity in Egypt. God calls Moses to lead his people by appearing to him in a burning bush. Moses led God's people out of Egypt, brought them to Sinai, and that is where God gave him the law and the commandments. The amazing connection to Advent is that God appeared and actually took residence cloistered in Mary's womb. And Mary was not consumed. Scott Cairns in his poem Annunciation writes, She burns but is not consumed, holding within her body the God of heaven and earth. And this Adonai came to fulfill the law and to give us the spirit that writes the law on our hearts. Moses was the leader of the first exodus. Jesus is the leader of the second exodus. God said to Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Jesus, Adonai, redeems us from slavery and captivity. But Jesus did not do this through a mighty power but through outstretched arms on a cross. And even though we have been redeemed from the power of sin and death, our yearning, we have a yearning, longing to continue to be redeemed from the power of sin and death in our life. Where do you yearn for redemption in your life. Maybe a marriage, ruptured relationship, release from some controlling addiction. Maybe you're praying for God's outstretched arm to lead you into greater wholeness. Maybe you are praying for God to make up for the years that the locusts have eaten. Maybe you are praying to receive and truly know God's love and forgiveness. Or maybe your prayer is for God's flame, His presence, to burn in your heart. So pray this prayer with me and pray it personally for yourself for whatever God's bringing to mind. O Adonai, 
and leader of the house of Israel, who appeared to Moses in the fire of the burning bush and gave him the law on Sinai, come and redeem us with an outstretched arm. <clears throat> the third antiphon addresses Jesus as the root of Jesse. O root of Jesse, standing as a sign among the people, before you kings will shut their mouths, to you the nations will make their prayer. Come and deliver us and delay no longer. Familiar <clears throat> verses in Isaiah, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. God's people had been <laughs> basically cut down to a stump as a result of their idolatry and their sin and the resulting judgment of God. Assyria invaded the northern kingdom, Israel, and Judah went off to exile in Babylon. However, Isaiah promised that a root, a shoot, would grow out of this, this stump. There would be this little shoot that would come up. And this stump would lead to David and then to Christ, the son of David. This root or shoot would do what Israel failed to do, would become true Israel. And this shoot would stand before kings and nations, a root before whom every knee shall bow. As followers of Jesus Christ, in the big story of the Scriptures, we as Gentiles have been grafted into this root this tree of Jesse, and hence the tree of Jesus. We are in Christ. Paul says we are rooted and grounded in love. He exhorts in Colossians to walk in him rooted. Deep roots mean fruitfulness, longevity, sturdiness when strong winds blow. In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us that he is the vine and we are the branches and we are encouraged to abide in the vine because we cannot do anything when we're disconnected to the vine. We will have no life that comes from the tree. The plea is to come and deliver and perhaps this is tied to kings and nations who exert abusive power over the poor and the oppressed, who create division and war. That could speak to our day today, our world today. The last antiphon used the word redeem to align with sin and slavery, but here the word deliverance might be aligned with enemies, enemies of the kingdom of God. Enemies with peop, uh, of, of people who exert power over other people's lives in unhealthy ways. Even the false messages that we believe about ourselves can hold power over us. 
So in order to withstand the forces of evil and enemies that sap us of life, the call for us is to stay rooted in Christ, to abide in Christ. And we pray, come, don't delay. What yearnings does this image of the root of Jesse bring up for you? Maybe your roots are a little too shallow and you desire to abide more deeply and completely. What might you do to allow that to happen? What kind of support would you need from this church, this body of believers? Maybe the idea of being rooted in what God has done through history and the fact that you're part of that history brings you great encouragement and confidence to know that you are part of the whole story of Scripture. That's pretty special. So pray this with me. O root of Jesse, standing as a sign among the people, before you kings will shut their mouths, to you the nations will make their prayer, come and deliver us and delay no longer. The next antiphon we see Christ as the key of David. You have the root of Jesse, now we got the key of Jesse. Of of David. This is, I think this is my favorite. O key of David and scepter of the house of Israel, you open and no one can shut. You shut and no one can open. Come and lead the prisoners from the prison house, those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death. Again, this is a reference to Isaiah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. From the prison those who sit in darkness. Well all of us are familiar with the image of a key. We use keys every day. Not so much for our automobiles but uh, usually for our house, we have a house key, and, and when we leave the house, we, we lock it, and, and when we come home, we, we unlock it. Um, the lock and the key have to match. The key must fit. You can't lock or unlock unless you have the right key. Jesus is the key with the power to open doors and shut doors. Specifically, Jesus is the key that can open prison doors. Doors that are keeping people in darkness and the shadow of death. Jesus is the key that can set us free and open up for us the kingdom of God. What are the doors that keep us in prison? They can be prisons that we make for ourselves through sin and rebellion. Depression can be a door that keeps us locked in darkness. 
Regrets, disappointments, and an unwillingness to forgive can keep us living under the shadow of death. Shame, the idea that we are not enough, can isolate us and keep us locked away. Jesus can lock doors too. And when I think of this, I think of um, demonic thoughts or dreams. I don't know if you have these, but I have demonic dreams. I wake up totally unsettled. And I pray. I have some people praying for me that they'd be locked up, shut away, because I don't like them. They're, they're, they're not from God. Um, maybe there's messages that we have lived from, lived with from our parents or family members or the world around us, and, and we want to lock them in a room because they're, they're not life to us. Thinking that God is not good based upon our sufferings and hardships well, we can't ignore these difficult things. We can pray for God to put these distractions in a room and lock the door. How might you be praying right now for release from a prison cell? Where are you living under darkness and the shadow of death? What door might you want the key of David to unlock for you. Maybe it's just a closer, more personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe the door is a door to hope and peace. So pray this with me. O key of David, scepter of the house of Israel, you open and no one can shut. You shut and no one can open. Come and lead the prisoners from the prison house, those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death. <clears throat> Next, we encounter Jesus as Dayspring. O oh, Dayspring, splendor of light eternal and sun of righteousness, come and enlighten those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death. Jesus is Dayspring morning star. And here we see a repetition of the phrase darkness and the shadow of death that we saw in the last antiphon. We remember the words of Malachi, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Psalm 107, he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Jesus is the day spring. He is the light. He is the light of the world. God said, let there be light, and there was light. John's gospel tells us, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Every morning, we wake up. Some of you early, some of you a little bit later. <laughs> but if you look east, you hopefully see the sun. 
happens every day. At the end of the day, we're in the night, we're in the dark, and we go to bed. But we have hope that in a few hours, we'll be in the light once again in the day spring, the light of Christ. Light implies all sorts of things. Visibility, warmth, and healing, as Malachi says. When the new Jerusalem descends from heaven, there will be no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The prayer, the plea is to enlighten those who dwell in darkness. Christ shines in dark hearts to bring light and life. When this happens, the darkness loses its power. The Latin word for dayspring signifies orientation. And many older churches were built so that they faced east oriented towards the light. We are children of the light and we walk in the light by orienting ourselves towards the light. This has always been a powerful image for me, the light, moving towards the light. Even as a young high school student, I, would, I wrote something about there's a light out there. I want to go to that light. It was drawing me. How have you experienced light in your life? How has God shined into your heart? Where are the places and who are the people who keep you oriented towards the light? Maybe there's an invitation this morning for you to step out of darkness and let Light, the day spring, shine on you. So pray with me. O day spring, splendor of light eternal and sun of righteousness, come and enlighten those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death. Next we get O King. Jesus as the King, O King of the nations and their desire, the cornerstone making both one, come and save the human race which you fashioned from clay. Wow. There couldn't be a more relevant prayer for our world today with all its conflict, hatred, and division. Um, we find it not only abroad, but also in our own country. This antiphon is full of paradox. Jesus is the king of the nations, but when he came in the flesh, no one regarded him as a king. The Jews rejected him. The Romans crucified him. The nations didn't necessarily desire Jesus to be their king. It was actually the opposite. He was despised, rejected, a man of sorrows. His only crown was a crown of thorns. And the world still does not desire Jesus to be the king. 
And yet Jesus came to do something remarkable, and that was to create a whole new humanity by being the cornerstone of a new temple, of a new dwelling place for God, as Isaiah says. Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a test of stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And Paul amplifies on this in, in, in Ephesians 2. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus doesn't divide. He unites. And after his death, Jesus united Jews and Gentiles together to be one family of God with no division. Um, <clears throat> and then you get <clears throat> this wonderful reference to Genesis. When God formed man from the dust of the ground, and Jesus is the potter who continues to transform us and the whole human race to make all things new, to renew the world, and one day Jesus will be the glorified King. But for now, we pray, come Jesus and save the human race. Now that's a prayer worth praying. Because the human race, God's creation, is in need of saving. I think we yearn for the end of conflicts and wars. We want to unite, not divide. To tear down the walls that separate us as people. Rich and poor, male and female, the walls between all ethnic groups religious groups in the world. God wants to bring together, to unite. God values each and every person that He has fashioned from clay. He wants one humanity. But our world is so filled with hostility, judgments on other people, that we're actually working against what God wants to do. So where does this fall on your longing meter? <laughs> Are we willing to be part of this process by letting go of our judgments, our prejudices, looking out for only what benefits us? as opposed to the marginalized people with a different color skin, different nationality, people that have different cultural traditions. That's a big one. That's a really a big one for our world. How can we encourage each other to renew the world and help fashion a people for the namesake of the king of the nations.
So pray this prayer with me. King of the nations and their desire, the cornerstone making both one, come and save the human race which you fashioned from clay. And finally we come to O Emmanuel, God with us. O Emmanuel, our King and our lawgiver, the hope of the nations and their Savior, come to save us, O Lord our God. The reference is a verse in Isaiah we know well. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. <clears throat> Our God does not stay distant or separate, separate from us. He wants us to know him. He came to be with us. He moved into the neighborhood to walk and talk with us, to bring hope into a hopeless world. He is the hope of the nations. You know, we've just <clears throat> gone through a few years of, of uh, COVID epidemic. Well, there's a worse epidemic, I think, in our world, and that's loneliness. In the tech world today, we can live on an island with all of our devices, unlimited streaming options. We think we don't need anyone, but we all know that that is a lie. We are not ourselves by ourselves. The Simon and Garfunkel song proclaiming, I am a rock, I am an island, doesn't work. Advent is the time when we remember that God himself came into the world to bring salvation, to bring himself, to give us hope, to allow us to live with peace. And we yearn to know this God who is with us. I know I do, and that's not necessarily easy. We don't get it by just going to a Bible study or coming to church, even though those are good things. This is soul work. This is opening up our heart, exposing. Where is your experience of God being with you? <clears throat> Where or how do you talk to Jesus like you would talk to a friend? Because there are so many lonely people around us, who might Jesus be calling you to to spend time with? You know, <clears throat> I, I've heard this. Trauma victims in the church, most, of the, most people with trauma do not go to a counselor. And what people need is peer support. And hopefully that's what churches, communities like this can offer to people is peer support. Listening, walking with people, not trying to fix 
or give advice, but to help them know that they are not alone. That's what Jesus did, and that's our calling as well. One final note. (laughs) When you take the first letter of each title for Jesus in reverse order, we get the Latin words, arrow cross, meaning, tomorrow I will come. So as you enter into a new day, I I encourage you to ponder these seven titles for Jesus and what they might mean to you. What are the rhythms, the practices, the support you need to grow and flourish in Jesus this year? Look at you guys. Man, you learn easy. All right, pray with me. Oh, Emmanuel, our King and our lawgiver, the hope of the nations and their Savior, come to save us, O oh Lord our God. Amen. Hey. Let's, let's thank John for the So come, Lord Jesus, find in me the child you came to save. Stoop tenderly with wounded hands and lift me from my grave. Be with us all, Emmanuel, and keep us close and true. Be with us till that kingdom come where we will be with you. Come, Lord Jesus, to redeem, deliver, save, and shine into our hearts. Amen.